Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, it's 3 to one go with Cosmo Macero. Then we're joined by Brett Ahrens from Market Watch to talk about politics, the Democratic race, and its impact on the markets. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom recaps this week's debate and what lies ahead for the Democratic candidates. First up, 3 to one go Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, we'll look at a couple of reports on the long-term health of the greater Boston economy, as well as the housing shortage. And the markets are roiling because of coronavirus. We'll talk to Brett Ahrens of Market Watch about that fast-moving dynamic. And finally, we'll have some quick thoughts on a post-Harvey Weinstein Hollywood. All right, Cayenne, let's let's uh, let's get to it here. A couple of interesting economic um, uh, stories related to the city of Boston. First, a study by the Milken Institute, which finds the Boston, Greater Boston economy is 64th in overall health of modern economies. So much for the pillar of healthcare, life sciences, and higher education. Well, they were looking at other areas. They, indeed, they were. So the, the, the concern here is that, and I think it's legitimate, um, we're creating a lot of the high-end jobs. We're maintaining and sustaining on the high-end jobs in those areas and others. Mm-hmm. Um, but the job creation in the service industries, in the support um, industries and all the things that are around your major anchor industries are, are, are not strong, right? The other le- the other rungs of the economic ladder, we're not we're not creating a lot of opportunity, and that's a real problem for an overall healthy economy because you need to have opportunities for people at all at all rungs of the ladder. Yes, and coincidentally, there's a story in the Globe today about how housing prices just keep rising. So even if we are making jobs for these people they can't live here it's impossible to live because yeah exactly Housing which is price. you know it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg or not at all or they just go hand in hand but we are not our city is not going in a in a direction where young people can come and and be be viable here in terms of living and creating a home um at least not buying a home and if you don't have jobs to bring them here if you're not already at you know a high level or super smart or you know have a, a niche like, like well, tech yeah, well and into your health career, science yeah. or things that's tough you're shutting out a, a huge portion of the population yeah and I'll, I'll expand that your city our, our city our region right uh part of the housing issue continues to be that in the communities around greater boston the suburban communities that people like to live in there is still that classic new england resistance to multifamily housing and new housing development that's not, you know, X number of feet with, of frontage and X number of acres of lot size and single family development. No, no, no. Please don't put multifamily housing in my neighborhood. And, and that's a huge problem. And I think that part of that is because when people think about why they're moving out of the city, they're moving out of the city because they want those things you were just talking about. They want a yard. They want more space. They want 
their own space that they're not sharing with other people. Um, and then our towns and, and communities are saying, we don't want an influx of thousands of families and the burden that that's going to put on our school police and, and someone fire. Who lives I mean, in one, yeah. As someone who lives in one of those communities, it's, it, these, you know, the code words impact on our schools, enrollment, track. I got to tell you something. There's so much concern about traffic. Oh my God! I remember uh, you in, <laughs> in, in in you know in Newton and Belmont and 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 uh, you know. You recorded your commute one day. Oh my God! But you're right. It's it's something you cope with, but is it is it such a concern that you want to you want to stop others from particip from being part of your community? I don't, you know, I, 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 I'm fine That's with... very nice of you. Many well, other people don't feel that it, way. It, it's, 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 it's definitely the, the sort of breaks down to the, are you part of the solution or part of the problem? So we've got the housing crisis, and then this Milken Institute study says, hey, look, if you want to really have a healthy economy, you got to create opportunity for everyone. And I think, that, you know, I will say to his credit, I think Mayor Walsh has put that forward um, in recent years and, and has said, you know, we need to make Boston a city that's more welcoming for for everyone and is going to bring new populations and uh, allow us to grow because right now we're just we're kind of growing up and um and the, the, in burn, terms the of burden can only be on the city of boston no in not fact, at all it, yeah, it, it yeah. must not be right and it, it needs to be a regional solution a few weeks ago we had a great interview in here remember you'll recall with uh with joan vanaki the boston globe talking yeah. about western mass and like you know and it's kind of funny that it we're looking. We're looking at Western Mass as a solution to our problems here in Eastern Mass, <laughs> you know. But then it, we get back to the, which is also something that everyone's talking about, which is our public transportation system. So you know, people are are leaving, want, may want to leave the city, but feel that they don't have the access to get here, or at least not in the times or the frequency or the reliability that they need. Um, you know, when you talk about it being not just a Boston problem, that's a Commonwealth problem. Is that people need to feel like if they are not living downtown but they're working downtown, that they can get here quickly and reliably. All right, Cayenne, we are joined now for this segment of 3 to one go by Brett Ahrens of Market Watch. Great to be here. A terrific Hello, market analyst and financial journalist and... Well, perfect person to come and talk about the coronavirus, COVID-19, and its impact on the markets. And boy, there's been a tremendous impact just over the last few days. Let me just set this up real quick because as we sit here, um, the executive director and chief investment officer of the Massachusetts State Pension Fund, $79 billion in global assets under management. That's Michael Trotsky said, told the board of trustees of the State Pension Fund here in Massachusetts about the seriousness of this situation. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, at the at the Prim Investment Committee meeting, meeting they were marveling at um, uh, the strength of markets uh, and the sort of well, wind at their sails. And in two weeks' time, um, things have really changed in terms of a market snapshot. And he expressed uh, before the board, there's really no way to determine when coronavirus will be contained, how much of a slowdown it will cause in the markets, and if economies will be able to withstand the shock of coronavirus. I think that that's a significant warning 
for someone who's responsible for investing $80 billion. It's a scary one. And it's a scary one. Your thoughts, Brett Ahrens? Well, it's um, uh, the problem with coronavirus is essentially you're playing, and in fact with the markets, is you're playing Russian roulette. The, the odds are you'll be okay, but there's a small risk of disaster. Each time we have one of these threats of pandemic, that's always, it, the market isn't just reacting to what's likely, but it has to factor in the risk of what they call tail risk, the risk of, of disaster. As it happens, I was just watching that movie Contagion the other night, oh. which was essentially, it's essentially <laughs> the coronavirus movie. Um, I feel like I we're living- I had very sweet dreams Honestly, I, I feel like we're kind of living a sci-fi movie right now, or at least the beginning, like the, the, the first 15 minutes of a sci-fi movie. We could do. I, look, I still think the betting is probable uh, that this will turn out to be like SARS or MERS sure. or any of these other. So the likeliest outcome. There's is already a vaccine produced here yeah. in Massachusetts that's being tested. That's yeah. good news. Yeah. Yep. The, the likeliest outcome is going to. By be the way, I'd call that movie the cough. Sorry, guys. There we go. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good name for a movie. The cough. The cough. It's a terrible name. It's a terrible movie. It's a terrible name. Thank you. I like Thank the name thing. I was a herald and it's editor. I like the to sneeze? name stuff. Like. Right. Right? <laughs> Us old tablet editors like to name there we stuff. Go, there we go. Right. No. And I think the market reaction has got a lot more to do with the uh, the fact that everyone was exceedingly bullish and there was there was a lot of speculative long positions and people got their fingers caught in the door. Kyan, what's your level of concern on coronavirus economically and personally in terms of your own health and your family's health and the health of uh, the larger community? Those around me? Um, economically, again, I, I defer to Brett. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't. Well, you got, you've good. got an opinion. I mean, you know. I, I mean, you've you've got a problem when 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 what's happening when China is shut down. Like yeah. people aren't going to work, hospitals aren't all functioning. People. You, well, you are, just like, hit you the know, nail on the head. China. Is, is shut down. Shut down. Th- that's there's a know, region of China. One fifth and of the population of, of the globe is shut down. Yeah, that's working that's from problematic. Home. You know, I don't need. I We're guess I don't stockpiling iPhones. I don't that's need to be happen. an economist to know that that's no. not and, a good and, thing. And, and just you know, oh, we'll just, oh, we can just work from home. Really? Can the guy at the corner store yeah, yeah, work from thing. home? This is the thing. Can the can, can the restaurant down the street work from home? No. Yeah, I mean, it's anyone in the service industry, not it's to an mention economic disaster factories and the amount of things that are produced in China it's can we assemble <laughs> heavy from machinery home. from home no uh, so that's that front um, right now as far as my personal health and those around me I'm not incredibly concerned uh, talk to me in a week or two if things change on the United States front but I feel okay right now you don't have a a uh, I don't have a mask you anywhere. don't have a gross of masks in your Amazon uh, um, uh, no, and it? if I hadn't Inbox, already ordered them, they'd be yeah, they'd be right. overpriced by now. Yeah, it's no. shopping cart. Your Amazon shopping cart's not loaded with Mask, surgical masks. Masks are the number one household. Honestly, item now I have a six-year-old. Like the amount of germs that I am fearful of coming home to me right now, like that's not number one. The mayor, um, the mayor, that could change. The mayor of San Francisco has declared a state of emergency. Um. Interesting. Not a single case yet in San Francisco. A rob- uh, San Francisco, historically, a robust and vibrant uh, Asian community. Uh, so 
I get that. But, I mean, the state of emergency, the, 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 uh, um, the justification being we need to be prepared now. And that's not a bad idea because guess what? The World Health Organization says we're not prepared. And the CDC says, yeah, we're not prepared. Pandemic. How about that? Is that a good title for my movie? Pandemic. Pandemic. That's a better Wait, title that's than, a than the cough. That's a far better title than, than the, the cough. cough. The, the cough is not is not going to have them standing in line. I hate, <laughs> I hate you guys. I hate you guys. That may actually be, that may actually be the and worst movie like The best movie thing is, like, I've instead heard. of 3D glasses, you hand out masks as they're walking in. Like, everybody wear right. your mask for the cough. That's why I'm not a Hollywood uh, producer. All right. There you have it. Brett, thanks a lot. Great to be here. Thanks, Kayam. All right, Kyan, Harvey Weinstein. Let's start there. He's going to jail. Convicted on two counts this Absolutely. week in New York City. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot left in the wake of, of uh, this case and really sort of the, uh, uh, the symbol of the Me Too movement um, in many ways. But let's just talk about Hollywood and all the pieces left to be picked up. His company ruined Miramax. Um, a lot of people he's worked with over the years are tremendously successful. They owe some of it, some of them do, some of that success to, you know, the vote of confidence that Miramax and the Weinstein brothers put in, in, in these people. Um, but many of them were successful and then found themselves unsuccessful for the same reason, in, in, allegedly. In, indeed. Um, what, you know, what's to be made of that and, and how does all, sort of uh, Hollywood sort of put itself back together, or at least at least the people who were involved closely with his company. Um, I think you've got to clean some house, um, and I don't know how much of that has already happened, but I think we've already seen a change in how Hollywood is responding. To, I mean, a couple of years ago, Harvey Weinstein was a was a punchline at awards um, by multiple people. It was a it was an ongoing running joke. That yeah, his, he was kind of creepy. His conduct was an open secret <clears throat> before the scandal, right? Yes. Before the How much people knew the extent of it, I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, I will say, and we talked about this. I'm reading the book she said, which was written by the reporters um, at the New York Times who, who broke the scandal. And I'm only a couple couple chapters in, and the lengths they had to go to get these stories and to get people talk is yeah. pretty extensive. People were generally and very legitimately scared of what was going to happen. Um, we have seen in the last two years, um, particularly with the Me Too movement becoming even more popular, despite being founded, you know, almost 15 years ago, we have seen a lot of female um, actors, when giving speeches, talk about inclusion, uh, talk about the importance of having women, minorities represented, not just on screen, but behind the cameras and in all. The conversation is changing. Um, and that can only benefit, but it's still, you know, the, the Times had a story today. It's, Hollywood's still a man's world. Um, it's sure. that, that's going to take a long time to change, but th the effect of this, because we're not done, he still has to go on trial in California uh, for charges, yeah. and more is going to come out. I think that will probably focus more on Hollywood 
um, than the New York trial did. And there's more to come. Is the art itself tainted by this meeting, the Pulp Fiction uh, you know, and the, the Quentin Tarantino films and the other many films that Miramax was part of? Is the, is the art itself tainted or, or, or does that get a pass? I don't think so. Yeah. I think people can separate one from the other, whether they should. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. But if you yeah. loved that movie yeah. or any of those I movies. Th- <laughs> the reason I ask that, I feel like the politics and, and the political direction that a beloved Hollywood star for generations uh, has gone in, Clint Eastwood, that I have read from pe- read people uh, either posting on Facebook or writing about Clint Eastwood saying, I- I've sworn off his entire catalog of films because he, I'm disgusted by it, by what he's become politically. But that's different. Something that I don't buy, but okay. Because he's in the movie, and there's you have a more visceral and personal reaction in a relationship. You have either loved his movies because of him yeah. and how he has acted and, and portrayed. Harvey was never in any movies. Um, his victims were. Yeah. But, you know, he was behind the scenes. I don't think you should, again, you want to come back to it, let's not punish the people that suffered already uh, due to, you know, a person's bad behavior. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program was recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in Government Center, downtown Boston. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's it for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Brett Ahrens. All right, up next, we're joined by Brett Ahrens, journalist from Market Watch, to talk a little bit about the presidential election. Brett, it's great to have you back here on OA on Air. Always great to be here. Welcome. Always great to be here. The old, uh, the old Boston Herald men ride again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, Kyanne Isaacson. The official voice of OA on air joining us in this Not great to be conversation. Forgotten. Never, never, <laughs> never. All right, Brett, let's just dive right in in the middle of things. Um, on the heels of the most recent Rock'em Sock'em boxing match type debate among the Democratic presidential candidates, um, the storyline continues to be, I believe, uh, though as we sit here, we await the South Carolina primary. Bernie Sanders as front runner, and how is the Democratic Party establishment coping with a Democrat socialist, a socialist Democrat, or whatever he calls himself, um, as right now the, the 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 presumptive nominee, or at least certainly the leader? Yeah, if you're a betting person, the likeliest scenario is that um, on the fourth of November this year, uh, everyone's going to wake up. The Democrats going to wake up, having lost a blowout election with Donald Trump saying, what on earth were we doing nominating a guy who isn't even part of the party, a democratic socialist, um, when running against Donald Trump, who is a disaster on so many fronts that it should have been relatively straightforward to put up a mainstream credible candidate against him. Isn't that kind? Of, aren't those? Isn't that a mistake that was made? So sad, right? If now. you call it that, and 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 let's just stipulate, Bernie Sanders has tremendous support nationwide by his kids by 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 his uh, his constituency of uh, very uh, strong base, very strong base. But if you're the party establishment, and Tom Perez, you're out of a job, win or lose, right? The head of the mm-hmm. Democrat. How's that? Oh, if we win the election, 
we, I'm, I'm, I'm fired. If we lose, I'm fired. You know, but re, uh, realistically, Cayenne, wasn't this a, a, isn't this a big mistake that was made? Oh, I don't know, three years ago or, or four years. Should they have started right away preparing for this election? the Democratic Party, because here we are, and you can't say they're messing it up now. We're at the end of the road here. This is the end of the race. I, I, I want to say that they would argue that they were. I, I don't know what that looked like. Um, you know, the debate this week, and I haven't watched a lot of the debates recently. You know, you just kind of reach burnout. like phase. Preserving your mental health. Yeah, a little bit. Um I tuned in, I watched most of most of the debate, and I think if you're a person who isn't interested in politics um, or hasn't cared very much or, you know, kind of a naysayer and decided, you know what, I haven't watched in a while, maybe I'll see what's going on, I think you were so turned off by what happened in last night's debate. It was ugly. Uh, it, it just, it was childish in a lot of ways. It, it was a lot of bickering and... Um, you know, for a lot of them, they felt like it was their last chance. I get it. I understand the stakes. But it was it just it was uncomfortable this to is, watch. Look, you know, I was, it's funny. Nine months ago, I was asking myself, how are the Democrats going to ruin this? How are they going to blow this? It's like the old Red Sox. <laughs> I thought, how are they Always going the cynic, to blow Brett. Always this? Always the cynic. I turned on my television, and the first item of the news was the Democrats on Capitol Hill were holding hearings on reparations for slavery. And I thought, yes, they are absolutely, that is just how you start. But they didn't even need that in the end because then they decided to hold these debates. They had so many people on stage, they had to have them on two separate nights, if you mm -hmm. remember. They had, what was it, oh Marianne gosh, Williamson. Yeah, well, we had 23, 24 yeah, candidates Marianne Williamson on the stage. This is not the school play. Everybody doesn't get a role. What, what, what was going on? You have, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. This is not a serious process where you have Marianne Williamson, who is, you know, this sort of goofy character, you know, whose books probably were on sale in the 1970s, talking about ESP, is on the stage talking to them. I mean, absolutely farcical. You had Tulsi Gabbard, whose only role in the race seemed to be to take out Kamala Harris. Um, which, so if you are a conspiracy theorist and you, you think, what was it, what, did Hillary say Tulsi Gabbard was a Russian yes, asset? Yes, yes. If, if, words to that effect. Well, if Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian asset, she very effectively assassinated the candidacy of Kamala Harris, who possibly was one of the most viable ca candidates in a general election. Um, so you had this absolute farcical. You had Joe Biden, who is you know, it was, so past it, it, his sell-by date, it's not, it's not funny. Yeah, it, it was sausage-making. In front of in front of the American people, why do you have to do that? Why can't the debates be limited to a end of the you know or near the you know yep. near Iowa high stakes moment, and, and let all and, and let all those candidates sort of fall by the wayside? I wanted I, to see I wanted to see some one on one it, you know, debates in private. I wanted to see if you have a lot of kids. You see, the thing is, no one is going to turn up to watch you know a group you know uh, punching match where everyone gets thirty seconds. But actually, if you said, you know what, we're going to have Bernie Sanders debate Elizabeth Warren, two candidates, one hour, total smackdown, you know, people might actually watch that. But so actually, like bracket style. Yeah, yeah, and yeah I, exactly. No, I, March yeah, Madness. Yeah. March, March Madness. Madness. You know, imagine, imagine said, well, we're I'll not, say this. We're gonna, much, no, this yeah, is how the Democrats yeah. would do it. If we're going to have March Madness. We're not going to have 
all, we're going to have all we're going to have all the basketball teams on the court at the same time, and everybody's going to get the ball for three seconds, and then we're going to wonder why right. no one tunes we need in. Brackets. Next year. We need brackets. What a what a brilliant concept. We need pri- we that need is revolutionizing pre- democracy yeah. in America and the, here. And the, the reality is they had they have or had viable candidates in the race who either Absolutely. knock themselves out or Kamala Harris, I thought, was viable. Um, Amy Klobuchar, you know, is kind of, there's a sort of certain amateur hour aspect to her, but she has, you know, the experience on, on Capitol Hill. Um, you had some other people. I thought she had some excellent moments earlier on yeah. in the campaign. Last two, These last two debates were not those moments at all for her. And as much of a mess and kind of an unpleasant sort of, you know, experience the most recent debate was, that two debates ago when Elizabeth Warren opened up and just took Bloomberg out at the knees, that was great television, and I thought great politics. And I thought and it was be- smart. I couldn't agree. And I couldn't it was disagree smart. with you more. Well, hold on. And I thought it was, well, it was very energizing for the party that night. I think, you know, as we sit here on Wednesday recording, last night's debate was not. It was it was depressing because it was desperate flailing around by these people. Well, you know, look, you've got, you know, the... When you watch the debate, if you didn't know anything about these people, you would, if you landed here from Mars, you'd say, you know, this young guy who actually seems to be the only person who has taken any debate or public speaking lessons uh, is the, the runaway candidate. You say, well, actually, he's the mayor of Nashua, New Hampshire, or he's the mayor of Poughkeepsie. I mean, he's the South Bend, Indiana. I mean, it's, it's nowhere. It's absolutely preposterous. He is far and away, as a candidate, much more effective than any of the others. You look at the others, and I think, how do these people not, how do you run for president and not have voice coaching? How do you run for president and not have presentation? I mean, you get presentation yeah. training. What's your debate prep look? How do you run for yeah. president and, and not have full conscious, be fully conscious during well, the debate? Well, that's, that, <laughs> you're talking about Joe Biden at this point. I didn't say that, but you know, <laughs> yes, I am. Well, I, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, I thought, was viable a year ago, and she just proceeded to, here's the thing, Massachusetts I, politicians are an unmitigated disaster, and if you are listening to this podcast, please write to your congressman, write to your senator, write to the governor and say, you are a Massachusetts politician, please never run for president. Mike Dukakis, John Kerry, Mitt Romney, they blew, um, I mean, they just ran the three worst campaigns in history. If you said the three worst campaigns in history, those would be the three. Actually, when I was a young guy, I thought Mike Dukakis... His campaign was so bad, it was like the Joe DiMaggio hitting streak of politics. No one was ever going to come close. No, one, That was like the a, the absolute gold standard of worst ever campaign. And then John Kerry, his former deputy governor, comes along and says, basically, hold my beer. And he runs a worse campaign. Uh, actually, I voted for the $87 billion before I voted against it. Well, you, you, you mentioned Warren. I agree with you. Elizabeth Warren has run a ter- she. Could have been viable. She has blown it. At least, she, at least she blew it before getting the nomination. That is at least progress for Massachusetts. I, I really thought that you know, if Sanders is not in this, she is the hard progressive, uh, you know, leftist, almost radical candidate that people can actually come around to, and, and get behind. People who are like, I can't take this president anymore. I don't know that. I don't know that enough of those people are going to do that with Bernie Sanders. But I thought she's had some great moments in this campaign. It's obviously not going to be enough. Well, I just think the thing is, look, she, you know, when she took out Mike Bloomberg, the problem with that is that uh, I strongly suspect her biggest issue at this point is that she does not come across as likable to a lot of potential swing voters. Rightly or wrongly, 
um, and basically taking Bloomberg apart doesn't help her on that. And, um, you know, I really didn't think that that ended up helping her. Uh, obviously, it hurt Bloomberg, but he's just pouring a bunch of money into that. So she raised uh, a lot of money from it. I mean, it certainly she did. bolstered support week, for her in the week great. after. I mean, she yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. Look, it may have did, did it help her in the long run? I don't, I don't know. know I don't know if it helped her with the you know the swing voters, the people. I got to tell you, people, people say is the, the 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 question is like, is America ready for? I think America desperately needs a, a woman in the White House as absolutely. president. Absolutely, best thing you've said all day. It's true, no, but it's true. And you know what? I can count. I can count at least three. Maybe four that I, uh, let's do it right. Yeah. Even even Senator Amy, God bless her, she's faded to black here, faded to darkness after the most recent debate. You know, I was very impressed with the way she handled this campaign. I think and, Klobuchar would be great. You know? I thought I thought Kamala Harris, Kamala, Kamala Harris was Harris, very very Elizabeth interesting Warren. right from the start. And she, I don't know what happened with that campaign. I think um, she'll be back. So what's that? She'll be back. Yeah, well, let's hope so. I thought year, she was. I thought she was very good. Um, I no, I agree that there were there were um, some excellent people, and Kirsten Gillibrand had you know she'd been a lobbyist for tobacco companies. There were all sorts of things that people didn't like about her, but I, I thought she was a, a very interesting candidate as well. So I mean, it's funny because I love I lived in England in the eighties when you know Mrs. Thatcher was prime minister. So this whole thing about can you have a woman in charge is sort of a surreal You're debate just to like, me. Of it's course like, you can. It's it, ridiculous. It's like someone <laughs> it, it saying, really you know, can you wear shoes? And it's like, I mean, um, honestly. what? I mean, yeah. we are as a country, we are so far behind in that, and the idea that that's even a question to your point, or that the, that there's a distinction when they're on stage or how they're covered to this day is still preposterous. That we are asking different questions of women that we ask of men, and vice versa. It's, I mean, are you smart? Are you qualified? Can you run a country? Can you, you know, it's, so, it's, except, the ask, thing, except the there's thing merits is, when it comes down to it. When it comes down to it. Unfortunately, things like likability and relatability matter more in these elections, regardless of sex, than they brains. They 100% matter. They, it's interesting. I had a very interesting conversation with Drew Weston, who wrote The Political Brain and is a basically genius about political communications. And he said, when it comes down to it, what really what, what changes people's votes, what people ask, is not where does this person stand on this issue or that issue. It's does this person understand people like me? And do I want to have a this, beer with them? And right. does this person share my values? It is all a person, personal, yeah. emotional connection. It's not, um, you know, I, I agree with this person on this policy or whatever. Um, so it's, yeah, so those are the, th those are the sort of the factors you have to win on. So uh, just closing out here, a couple things real quick. Going into South Carolina and then quickly after Super Tuesday, by the end of, by next, when, by a week from today when we sit here recording, you know, the next debate stage is going to have four people or five at the most, you know. But so Saturday, South Carolina, that's make or break for Joe Biden. Let me ask you this. I'm not going to ask you who you're going to vote for, but Kyan, you first. What happens in the hypothetical, and I stress hypothetical scenario, with a President Bernie Sanders? How does America react to that? How does the economy react to that? How do we react to that culturally? I'm going to let Brett talk about how the economy <laughs> would react to that. Um, I think and we've, we've been having this conversation internally in this office too, right? And as are others of what does it look like when the pendulum swings so far in the other direction? I don't think good. I, I would say the same if Bernie Sanders was in office today and Trump was coming, potentially coming in. The pendulum swinging like that is not good. 
it's just not good for our society, our country. Um, the direction of politics and democracy and what we, it's going to disenfranchise more people. You're going to divide people further and further. And the idea of what people get up on, on debate stages and talk about is that I can do this bipartisan work and I reached across the aisle. No one's going to be able to reach across the aisle anymore. That's okay. not even going to yeah, be a it thing. Prob it, it probably, you're right. I think Maybe. It, it, it intensifies the 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 low-level civil war we have going on in this country. Yeah. In terms of the economy, I mean, the thing is, look, I don't... Bernie Sanders is this, you know, he has some things that we all, you know, everybody, you know, agrees with or everybody likes, but the reality is I don't even think the guy understands economics that, that, that well. And, um, you know, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a, a, a pretty bumpy ride. It'll be very interesting. But I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that his, his argument that, oh, we'll have this great mobilization because we bring out a radical... That is the argument that has been produced by every wing candidate. You know, Barry Goldwater, his supporters all said exactly the same thing in 1964. If we nominate a real conservative, all these people who don't vote will turn out and vote, and they got he got crushed. The people who don't vote, don't vote. They're non-voters, they're not engaged, and they're not going to suddenly turn out and vote because you've got a socialist. You will lose all the centrists. We poll likely voters. Maybe we should start polling non-voters. A poll of, a, of 500 <laughs> non-voters. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder if Bernie Sanders, it, he, you know, so long uh, sort of behaving in the same way as a, as a political figure, is he open to any type of political coaching in, 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 as such that he might be able to be convinced that, hey, you know what, if you embrace even a mild spirit of compromise... You can accomplish a lot. You can move us in a progressive direction, maybe further than we ever could be in the, in, in the, uh, under another president, without moving us in, in such a direction where people would be completely freaked out and panicked. Because guess what? Your agenda will not pass. Your agenda will go nowhere. But something in the middle could go somewhere. And I wonder if he's open to that. I think probably not. But I think it's all moot. I don't think I, I'd be very, very surprised in the. We're preparing, so you think for, we're preparing he's but you think he's going to be the candidate. I am. But you think I have he will started lose to, to think Trump. in the last week that I'm starting to think there is a very high possibility that he's going to be the candidate, and I see very little chance that he will win the general. Uh, I'm a betting man, so I don't talk about absolutes. He could always win. Anything could happen. Um, however. I think the likeliest scenario, if he gets the nomination, is not only that he loses, he loses big. The Democrats could end up losing, I mean, could lose the House, that sort of stuff. It could be a, a disaster. Yeah. And, you know, this is, when you've had extreme, extreme, outside the mainstream candidates in the past, it has generally been a disaster. And we know there could never be a Klobuchar and Buttigieg ticket because she hates him so much. We know there could <laughs> never be a Bloomberg and Warren ticket because he has no self-respect if he, if he does that after she's beat him senseless t uh, two debates in a row. Could there be, in, in, and would there be value in a Biden-Warren ticket? You've got centrist, moderate, and sort of, you know, heavy progressive leftist. Maybe that that appeases some I of think, the Bernie... I, I don't know. I, 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 I think people. what's interesting about the Bernie bros is that they are such cultists that they are not interested. You try and interest them in, I mean... It makes no sense, really, but they are absolutely. You know, Warren is is part of the establishment to them. She's she's as bad as you know Trump. I mean, they're, they're so. Uh, I don't think she would get uh, the ticket. Anything. Uh, I would assume someone like Klobuchar, 
um, or even Kamala Harris would be uh, someone who'd be talked about as a VP candidate. Yeah, I also I don't think Elizabeth Warren is looking to be anyone's vice president. That's right a very good point. I, I I agree. I'm just I'm just trying to you know sort of it's all about matchups as they say in uh, in sports. But uh, okay, um, hey look, what a great conversation. Thanks, great Brett. Great to be here. Great bring to have such, you back. such life to this room when you come. <laughs> <laughs> really and it's do. always depressing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, Brett Adams at Market Watch here on OA On Air. Thanks. Up next, Two Minutes with Tom. Hi, Kaya. Hi, Tom. 82. Episode 82, here we are. Yeah, it's great. Big week. Another big it's a, week. It's a There's huge a week politically, week. yeah. It's, uh, there are 13 primaries coming up next Tuesday. There's the all-important South Carolina primary coming up on Saturday. Mm-hmm. We've had a debate where people have kind of garnered some strength and gained confidence in mm-hmm. their performances. Uh, every one of them across the board has been so much better than they were when they first started started uh, these debates. But we'll see what's important. Um, the, Biden, the, the, the Biden performance, I think, was, was probably the best from this point of view. Um, he needed it to convince the people that he was going to win. He's been telling people that he was going to win South Carolina. Mm-hmm. After that performance, I think, I think his inner confidence in himself and his performance you know, showed out in it. And I think that took a poll, which was four or five days before that debate, where he only had a three or a four-point lead. Now he, he's going to have, he has a 10 or a 12-point lead today. He's going to win by probably 20 points by the time the thing is, is In over. South Carolina. That's right. To the point where um, ba- uh, uh, Sanders is, is leaving South Carolina because he's given up on the fact that he could, he could possibly win it. And he's going to be in Massachusetts because he does think that he can beat Elizabeth Warren here for the same type, the same vote, mm-hmm. the, the same the same category of vote that votes for the two of them in her home state, which is kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. So, Super Tuesday, is, yes. and uh, that includes Massachusetts for our Massachusetts listeners out there. Yeah. Make sure to vote. It, it includes Massachusetts, and, and that was my point. He's coming here to Massachusetts because he thinks he can beat Elizabeth Warren in her home state, mm-hmm. and if that happens, of course. It would, it's it would a tough be, day for Elizabeth. It Warren. would be a tough That's day and a disaster for her and her campaign. You know, I watched the debate this week. I haven't watched a lot of them recently. I thought that Biden did what he needed to do, which was remind people why they liked him in the first place. Yes. Um, you know, at one point he interjected and said, "You know, why am I the only one sticking to the time? Nobody else is. I'm not. You're not going to stop me." And he, you know, got a little forceful, and the whole place clapped for him. Um, which I thought was a nice moment for him because it could have gone a, it could have gone another way and people right, said, right. "Oh gosh, he came off a little rough there." Um, but I think people felt like that's the that's the Joe Biden they know. It, you know, and it's it's uh, he acted as he would have acted. He acted himself, mm-hmm. and I think that comes across. And yeah. it's there's something very wholesome about it. You know, um, you've known him for quite some. I've time. known him for a long time. He's a very noble man in what people all too often today find the profession to be ignoble. He's a noble man in, in public service. You know what he is? He's the calm after the storm. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I, I think that whoever the and I and I think it needs to be a moderate to be very honest with you to, to take on I would agree to take on Donald Trump um, because it, it reminds me of the time following Richard Nixon and the chaos that he had um, that Jerry Ford was brought into the office to calm the American public and to unite people and to give them an understanding a forceful understanding as to what the vision of America can be and should be um, and he, he really he was really the remedy for what Nixon was. And I think that's what we need following Donald Trump. We have now seen what an extreme right-of-center candidate can bring. You bring chaos. And what you don't want to do is replace that with an extreme left-of-center candidate because there's only more chaos and more divisiveness between the parties, um, the House and the Senate. And it just makes for a standstill mm -hmm. uh, in government, which doesn't work. So are you going to vote on Tuesday, Tom? I'm voting on Tuesday. I'm voting on Tuesday, and I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't, if if he doesn't do well, I'm you know I'm hoping that Bloomberg will, who by the way improved himself mm -hmm. uh, over at that at that last debate. A clear a improvement <laughs> over the first debate. It didn't take much. Boy, but a yes. clear improvement <laughs> over the first debate. Yeah, but he's a 75-year-old man, set in his ways, and he went to school during that week between those debates, and he he didn't he didn't mind learning, and he and he did. Debating's tough. It's not natural. I would think that for <laughs> for Bloomberg, debating is not a natural thing. It certainly hasn't been with him in the last 12 or 14 years since yeah. he's been the mayor of New York. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. Thank you very much. Next week, we'll, we'll recap Super Tuesday. Goodbye, Kevin. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website.